0: Welcome back to our Public Health Explained series, our series where we attempt to explain over audio, (laughs) over an audio-only format, some of the terms and concepts that we use in public health. I'm MJ. And I'm Cass. So today we're diving into another very important part of conducting any research study, in particular research studies involving humans, and that is sampling. What has been your experience with sampling? Have you done any sampling? I'm sure you have.
1: Well, that's a broad question. I'm glad you followed it up with the second question. So yeah. (laughs) I'll talk about this in terms of teaching and then also research. So I think I've mentioned before, I currently teach a research methods class. So I have a whole lecture on sampling. Yeah, this class starts in a couple of weeks, or maybe it will currently be going on depending on when this podcast ends. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so I teach about sampling because it's an important part of research design. How comparable is your sample to the you know, whatever, not to um, give away the content of the episode today, but I've also thought about sampling in the context of some of my research. So, we've done community-based surveys. So, we've done household surveys around perceptions of policing in Baltimore, for example, And, you know, we can't randomize.
0: Oftentimes we can't, yeah. Right.
1: So we randomize our sample, which is how we we figure out sort of how we can get a good set of folks. So what we did for that is we identified all of the block faces in the eligible neighborhoods, randomized the block faces, and then sort of put them in order randomly and said these are the block faces that we're going to recruit from. And we knocked on every door on the block face.
0: Yeah. What a perfect foreshadowing. But continue.
1: <laughs> Another sampling that we've done is I think of we've also mentioned we do national public opinion polling every two years. Our survey is in the field right now, which is really exciting. Our 2023 Ooh. wave. And we work with a partner to generate a sample with certain characteristics that they then weight so that we can have a nationally representative sample, but with enough diversity in the sample so that we can make inferences about smaller subgroups.
0: That is important. And as we'll get into, but I think the logical first step is to define what a population is and what a sample is, right? So a population is a group of people that you're trying to study. And this could be anything, like depending on your research question, it could be all Americans under the age of 18 or all gun owners in America. Or everyone in the city of Baltimore, or it could be very small. It could just be like uh, everyone who is a faculty at Hopkins, right? Depending on what your research study is, this is the group of people that our study question cares about. So naturally, we could just conduct a study on them, right?
1: Wouldn't that be lovely? But as we've talked about before, research can be very expensive. Sometimes a population is too large to study the entire population sometimes they're hard to, to hard to reach and so you just it yes. is infeasible not just cost-wise but infeasible to reach everybody and so from that population of interest, we draw a sample. So a sample is a portion of that population that we hope is representative of the larger population. And we can do our study on that sample to then be able to say something about the larger population.
0: Yeah. And we sort of talked about this already, but a common misconception is that when we refer to a population, we don't mean like everyone, everyone. We mean the people we care about.
1: Right. So a population could be Less than 100 people, depending on your study question. If you wanted to study everyone who has a PhD in the United States, I think it's around 2% maybe of the population with a PhD. And so when we say everyone, it's not all 300 million people. It might be 6 million people in the US. Or if you're interested in all public health students or right that's might be too much, but your population could be all the public health students in the School of Public Health at Johns Hopkins, right? So your the population, it is everybody who is in your area of interest not necessarily every single person
0: yeah so here comes the crux of the problem like we want to study a population for all the reasons that we mentioned above like we can't study that population directly so as a result we need to get a sample of that population to study so not just any sample right ideally we want a representative sample right what happens when we don't have a representative sample
1: so we can do our study on a sample and we can find some associations or some correlations. And we want to say, oh, this is the whatever the answer to the question is in the population. But if our sample is not representative of the population, we then can't actually say we can't generalize to the broader population. And so we're, we're limited in what we can say about our results and, and their generalizability to the broader group.
0: Yeah, there has in history been several hilarious if not embarrassing publications of people using (laughs) unrepresentative sample. Um, There was a study that was like, oh, we tested the side effects of these uh, birth control pills on men. (laughs) 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 That happened. That actually happened. Oh my God, it was ridiculous. But so yeah, so we want our sample to be representative. So sampling methodology is a whole discipline in and of itself. And we will just go over the main concepts in this Public Health Explained episodes. Uh, anyway, the problem that we need to solve is how do we get a representative sample from a population? One of the ways is to use our friend randomness from RCTs, randomized control trials, and do something called probability sampling.
1: So probability sampling is that you know who's in your entire population Mm -hmm. and everyone, at least theoretically, has an equal chance of being selected. So let's say you wanted to do a sample of licensed drivers in the state of Maryland You work with the Department of Licensing. You get that list
0: of everyone. So you
1: know everyone who has a license in the state of Maryland. And then you could draw a random sample from that. And because you know who everyone is, you know the exact probability of any one person being selected and that's the strongest theoretical um right well if you have a license in maryland you should be on the list right that's true (laughs) um so there there are other rosters there are other census and other things where you may or may not actually have everyone but when it comes to some of this administrative data secondary data from records and things generally if it's something like a license you've got a pretty good chance of of having everybody and then you know the likelihood that any one person might be sampled, then you can pick people at random.
0: Yeah. And there's many ways that we could pick people at random, uh, surprisingly. So the way that you just described is called the simple random. Is like, we have a list. We're going to pick people randomly from this list. There is our sample. But you could do this more systematically, which I think is the norm nowadays, I believe.
1: Right. So you might have this list, let's say, just for ease of the example, there's 100 people on your list in the population. And you say, we're going to sample every five people. So you go, you know, the first person and then the sixth person and so forth. But the problem with that is if there is some ordering to the list, then that might bias your sample. So you might do a random number generator. Let's say the random number generator gives you 44. So you start at number 44 Mm -hmm. and then you pick every fifth person, go back to the top of the list until you get to the end. And that can give you a little bit extra randomized, a little bit extra randomization in your systematic sample.
0: Yeah, there are many details that we're glossing over about like how to set up these systematic samples, but it's just to make things more like the term suggests systematic, right? And now we get to the two uh, odd childs of the probability sampling stratify sample. So sometimes, and this is, I think, very common in a nationally representative survey, if there are certain subgroups that you care about, and those subgroups tend not to have that much proportion in the overall population population. If you do a simple random sampling, you might not capture enough of those subgroups of interest that gives you the statistical power for you to do research later. So sometimes you do called stratify sample, you divide the population into subgroups, whatever those subgroups can be and then you make sure that whatever random population that you, random sample that you draw are at a certain level that allows you to do whatever research question that you want to answer later. So you make sure that those populations are representative. Uh, in your random sample.
1: Right. In this, at the beginning of the episode, when I was talking about our gun policy survey, we take a stratified sample approach because we want to be able to look at gun owners and non-gun owners and differences between them. But then we also want to look among people who own guns, different racial and, and ethnic backgrounds, different demographic characteristics. And so we want to have a stratified sample so that we have enough people that we can do some research on the, those smaller
0: subgroups. And the last odd uh, child uh, is called the cluster sample. This one's a little tricky. So you have a population. Maybe for some reason, uh, this population has already been divided into multiple clusters already. So either organically, or you could divide them yourself into different clusters of sample that are not subgroups. So these clusters are just smaller. Mini populations, I guess. Is that a way to put it? Like these are mini populations. I think if
1: you get specific with an example, it will help. Yeah. So like schools are an example. Right. So you could say we're gonna look at Baltimore City public schools and we're just gonna we have the list, we're gonna randomly sample kids from this list and do some work. But we know that. Teachers within classrooms might have an impact. Schools, like teachers within schools, might have an impact. And so you have these natural clusters. You might say, we're going to assign five schools to an intervention and five schools to a control. And so then you have these clusters, right? You have these clusters. You've got people within classrooms within schools. You might say, we're going to pick a school and then we're going to use the clusters of classrooms. Just do one school and use the clusters within those classrooms. But you want to keep like with like, essentially, because we know that people who are together are more likely to be similar than they are to folks in a different classroom, for example.
0: Right. So another way to put it is like, let's say you have an intervention for kids, right? If you did a truly random sample, you would take all those kids in a gymnasium and then you would break up those kids, regardless of what classroom or what teacher that they had, right? You would just break up those kids and make new classrooms or new teachers groups and obviously that's very disruptive so instead of instead of picking each individual kids you pick classrooms which are already like sort of natural clusters already
1: right and the reason for that is if you are doing an intervention and you've done a simple or even a systematic random sample. Yeah. And let's say you have a classroom with a teacher who's supposed to deliver an intervention, but only 3 students in that teacher's class were selected. You've got some bias because the teacher just having been exposed to the intervention might be changing changing their teaching practices yes. so the whole class might be inadvertently exposed to the intervention so you've contaminated your comparison group or your control group. So that's why you want to keep these clusters together. You would likely do a whole classroom as opposed to just a few students within the classroom. Yes. Contamination is a big issue when you're doing these different samples.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of uh, considerations that we we could probably do a whole series about, like, oh, all these different methodological considerations that we we could talk a lot about this. But this is just a general idea of the four types of probability sampling. However, there are times when probability based sampling is not practical, right? A lot of times it comes down to budgetary constraints, unfortunately, that's the real world of research and uh, not ideal, but it's the reality and you can't select your samples randomly and that you sort of have to pivot into what's called the non-probability sampling method, meaning not everyone has a chance of being selected.
1: This commonly happens when you don't know the total population. You have a theoretical group that you want to do research on or answer questions about, but you don't have any idea exactly how many people are in that group or even how to contact them. And so when we're doing research on those populations, we can't do any of the random samples. So we have to do this non probability sampling as you were just saying MJ. So we might want to use this type of sampling if we're doing some exploratory research. We're not sure yet sort of what the relationships might be, so we we might just be sort of doing some hypothesis generating. This is also very common in qualitative research. What we were talking about previously generally is thinking about more quantitative work, although that's not always the case when we're thinking about probability sampling. But when we're doing qualitative research, we want to know what people think or understand or know about a topic, and we're often going to do non-probability sampling. And just to g- generally increase our understanding of a topic.
0: Yeah. So the easiest way to do this is called a convenience sampling, which is whoever you can get, <laughs> it's whoever the researchers can get uh, by convenience will be included in the sample. Alternate version is the volunteer response sampling, which is you send out a survey and whoever answers a survey becomes a part of your sample. Not ideal because people who volunteer are not people. No, wait. People who volunteer <laughs> are not...
1: People who who volunteer aren't necessarily representative of the whole population. There's likely something different about them that they selected into participation.
0: Correct. Uh, That is what I wanted to say. This
1: is really good prep for when I am (laughs) getting ready to teach uh, in a couple of weeks.
0: I'm glad this is next.
1: (laughs) Another way you might do this is a, a slightly better version of convenient sampling, which is purposive sampling. You, as a researcher, use your best judgment to try to pick your sample, and this could be made. Maybe you wanted to do work with individuals who are uh, experiencing a substance use disorder. So maybe you work with some clinics and you do a convenient sample from those clinics. You're sort of purposefully recruiting from a particular location to try to get the right folks into your sample.
0: Yeah, sometimes you have to because the population you want to study is very hard to reach. So you have to do a little bit more digging, uh, less random, but sometimes it's necessary.
1: We did this study. Um, I led a study looking at involvement in underground gun markets with criminal justice system involved men in Baltimore City, and we recruited from parole and probation sites. So it was a it was a convenient sample, but we purposively recruited from. Areas where we know individuals who have been involved with the criminal justice system would be because they were under
0: supervision. Basically, researchers using their judgment to pick their sample. Hopefully, their best judgment. Uh, next, uh, sort of a little extension of that is called snowball sampling. So, you recruited a few people that are good, and then you asked them to recruit more people. So, that is sort of snowballs, a small sample snowballs into a big sample. And this is particularly useful when you're studying a population that is very tight-knit, but also hard to reach. So... Homeless people? No, that's not a good example. Uh, Sex workers, I guess, like would be a particular population that you might want to use snowball sampling uh, to reach.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've used this with a lot of different things. So we've done some qualitative work with gun owners. And so we've made connections with some gun groups or gun owning organizations. And then we've used that network for them to help recruit folks into our study. So they sort of they use their connections to then help us get those folks, because as we know, there isn't really great data on who does and doesn't own guns in the U.S. or who does and doesn't use drugs. And so we might have to use some of these social networks.
0: Yeah. Uh, so hopefully after this episode, you know a little bit more about a population and sampling. Stay tuned for our next Public Health explain episodes where we'll go over something else. Yes.
1: <laughs> I just wanted to say, I think the reason this is important. So some folks who are listening might think I'm never going to do. Research right. or I don't even read that many research studies. Like, why do I need to know yes. about sampling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talk about research in the popular media all the time. Yes, people talk about surveys that were done, and some or somebody polls. might say, "Oh, we did a we did a poll, we did a survey, and we found X thing." The important things to to cue into when you're listening to these media stories or reading the newspaper is nationally representative mm-hmm. or state representative or representative of the population. That that word representative is so important because that means that not only did they get people to answer some question,
0: which is hard already,
1: right? Which can be hard, but the people that they got to answer the question, they then have a sample that is representative of the larger group. And so it, it strengthens the data and you can say, oh, this is probably an accurate study or, or accurate thing. So if somebody's talking about survey data and they're not talking about it being representative, then that's something that you should cue into and, and maybe dig into more detail.
0: Yeah. And just generally being aware of the idea that a sample is from a population and how good that sample is really depends on a lot of different things. And what if a sample is not good, are the conclusion that they draw good, right? That's something that I think people should think more about.
1: Yeah. That's a really great point.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Everything is Public Health, our Public Health Explained series. If you like
1: the show, be sure to subscribe and spread the word so more people can learn about the awesomeness of public health.
0: New episodes are released every Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Please give us a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcast. It does help the show immensely.
1: Send us questions or comments or new topics you want us to explain to everythingispublichealth at gmail.com. Reach out if you think we missed an important perspective or suggest a future episode topic.
0: This episode is brought to you by reusable shopping bags. Save a few plastic bags from the landfill by using a bag again.
1: Follow us on Twitter for now at everything is ph or Instagram at everything is public health. You can also find me on Twitter for now at dr Krifassi. More information regarding this episode can be found in the show notes below.
0: Listeners, please visit our website, which is our Patreon page, for all major updates and bonus material. We are 100% patron-supported in that we do this not for the big paychecks from sponsors, but for the love of public health and listeners like you. If you want to support the show directly, you can support us on our Patreon page.
1: And remember, everything is public health.
0: Everything is public health.